Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. this morning to start a new series on the fruits of the Spirit. We've been in the gifts of the Spirit, and this week we want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And here's how I've come to view these two things in partnership. Remember we read in 1 Corinthians 12 that that the Holy Spirit manifests these gifts in the church for the common good. So the spiritual gifts are for the good of the body, therefore the inner life of the church And the way I see the fruits is the fruits are actually the work of the Spirit in the world. So it's like this movement where you come into the church to experience His power, get transformed by it, filled up with the Spirit, out into the world with the fruit of the Spirit to demonstrate what the life of Jesus looks like in people. That's why Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. Right? He doesn't say go out there and, and speak in tongues in the marketplace and do all this. No, no, no. He says go out there with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Go out there with these things and I guarantee you people would be like, who are you? <laughs> what, what's going on in your life? Because you are different. There's something else operating in you that is, and that's the salt, right? It's, it's the thirst that gets created in people's lives as the fruit of the Spirit gets demonstrated. And again, that, this doesn't mean that the, the gifts of the Spirit never pour outside of the church or the fruits of the Spirit are for the inside of the church, but it's the way I've come to see, especially if you read about the early church, the first three centuries of the church, you see them saying, worship in the house of God is to build up the church to transform us, and our outer witness is as the life of Christ is formed in us and gets expressed in the marketplace, in apartment complexes, on streets, where they would say, hey, I saw you get slapped in the marketplace. It was a a very common thing in the ancient world. If a business deal goes wrong, the way you shame somebody is you slap them in the face. And they would say of Christians, I saw you get slapped in the face and you didn't respond, you didn't retaliate. What's going on? Who are you? I've never seen someone not do that back. And they would say, "I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? So we're going to dig in this week. Greg Dewey preached a phenomenal sermon on love about three weeks ago or so, uh, which is on our podcast. So love's the first fruit. So he did such a good job. I'm not going to repeat it or try to add to it. We're going to start with the second fruit. But uh, let's dig in. If you've got your Bible, Galatians 5. Start with verse 16. 516, Paul says this, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Isn't this interesting? So Paul gives us immediately, the way to battle sin is not to fight sin, it's to live in the Spirit. He says, the way you wage war against the flesh isn't by trying really hard to not be something, but to become something else by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy. It feels like Paul's kind of chaotic right here. It feels like he's writing and he's just like, keeps going. He's like, and I love that it's like uh, a semicolon. Oh yeah, also drunkenness, orgies, and the like. (laughs) That's kind of a funny, it's like, I mean, he's just like, it feels like he's just thinking of stuff off the top of his head. And it's like, oh yeah, these two too, right? Just so you know, those are bad. Um, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to the fruit of the spirit has this beautiful cadence and pattern to it. It's like the chaotic nature of sin and then the orderly beauty of, of the fruits of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And guess what? Because there is no law, there is no condemnation when you walk in the Spirit. So if you feel condemnation in your life, it means you're walking under the law, not under the Spirit. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? There's no condemnation for anyone who's in Jesus. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have been crucified. They have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So since he has created life in you, now walk with him. He doesn't want to just do this in you one time, seal you for future glory. He actually wants to take that thing in you and walk it out with you. He wants to live through you. So this morning, we're going to focus on this second fruit listed in this passage, which is joy. Joy. And I think just as we read, we got to be clear that these aren't things that we try really hard to become. How many of you have ever prayed for patience and tried really hard to be patient? Right? Like the Bible never says try to do these things. Have you ever tried to love your neighbor? It's just, it's just a hard. It's like, I'm trying. He's like, no, no, no. If you'd put as much effort into knowing me, loving me, connecting to me, my life actually starts to flow out of you really easily. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because he's like, I want to live my life through you, not send you out into the world to try really hard. And that's why so many people in churches are just exhausted and weary and discouraged and why many just lose heart and give up. Because they've, they've tried Christianity as trying. <laughs> trying really hard instead of Love the Lord your God, first commandment. Just love him. So these are the things that come out of people who are filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. These are the natural consequences of communion and intimacy with Jesus. This is what happens when you connect yourself. John 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. You don't have a choice. It will come out of your life if you connect yourself to me. Jesus, in John 15, I love, he says about joy, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus speaks this word over your life that part of the reason he came is so that the joy that exists in him would be in you. Isn't that beautiful? That's Christianity. Christianity, as one person put, is a unique religion of joy. It it is founded in in joy, the joy of the Father in human beings meant he felt so terrible about our sinfulness that he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that our joy and his joy could meet and we'd be complete. His joy plus our joy equals completeness. <laughs> when we bring those two things together, something happens. If we have intimacy with Jesus, then we are complete, lacking nothing. Which begs the question, how do you get this joy in us? Jesus goes on to tell us in John 16, 22. He says, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Because until that moment, the only, only place you really had joy was in the physical presence of Jesus because Jesus was in the flesh. So he says, guess what? When I leave, my spirit's going to come and my joy can be anywhere and everywhere at all times. In any person who seeks me. He says, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So with you, now's your time of grief, right? They lost Jesus, but you will, I will see you again and you will rejoice when you see me in my resurrected state. You'll rejoice and no one will take your joy. And that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Amen. Jesus connects the coming of the Holy Spirit to the joy that we possess in him. He promised you joy. And Jesus never lies. Can I, I just want you to hear that. He promised you joy and he never lies. And this matters on a couple of fronts. One is our picture of God, which we really need to deal with how you view the Father. What is he like? God isn't a miser or a cranky grandpa or a police officer waiting for you to do something wrong so they can catch you and hit you with a stick and lock you up and punish you. Listen to this quote by John Ortberg. He says this, we will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. Let that sink in. God is the happiest being 
in the universe. It is his eternal state. God also knows sorrow, right? Jesus is remembered, among other things, as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, just like the anger of God, is his temporary response to a fallen world. So you need to hear that. God's wrath against sin is a temporary response, not a permanent disposition. God gets angry when he sees brokenness and rebellion and sin and death. It makes him angry, but it's not a permanent disposition. It's a temporary response And then what comes out of his anger and wrath is his solution to send Jesus to fix it all. (laughs) So that his joy might be in the world again. But we see God sometimes is like permanently angry. And you might have grown up in a church that led with wrath. God's wrathful. He's wrathful. He's angry. He's got to pour it out on Jesus. And it's just like, yeah, but when do we get to his permanent state of being, which is joy? It's his character is joy. That's who God is. If you know God, then you have to know that he is joyful. That sorrow will be banished forever from his heart on the day the world is set right. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is his eternal destiny. God is the happiest being in the universe. God is the happiest being in the universe. God created the world in joy and for joy. Jesus came to the world with joy, and it says in Hebrews, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. What was that joy? Eternity with you. Isn't that amazing? For the joy set before him, heaven forever with the angels and the saints and the elders and all of creation worshiping, for that joy, he endured the cross. You are his joy, and he went to the cross so that he could claim you for his joy, and you would live with joy. Man. And the problem is, instead of joy, many people have pursued freedom and pleasure. We've replaced joy with this pursuit of kind of worldly happiness. One one author put it this way. He said, such is the weakness of the flesh, such is the irksome nature of this life, that everything, however wonderful, ends in boredom. (laughs) When you search out pleasure and fun and happiness. It always ends in boredom, and yet people in heaven are never bored. It says forever and ever and ever. They have been singing the same song and have never gotten tired of it. They've never gotten tired of God, his presence, his joy, says all these things. It's this incredible thing. So this morning, Rather than giving you a practical sermon on joy, three points or principles about joy that make you feel better for a moment, what I want to do is I want to like open the floodgates of joy today over your heart. I want to take a sledgehammer to your heart with joy and just beat it up to where you just go like, okay, joy. Because we resist it. It's amazing how we resist it. How we go like, oh, that's not for me. It's for somebody else. Or I've been through too much. I have too much pain. I have too much sin. God doesn't really, it's like, so I I just want to just like, just, just like, I wish I had, I should have brought one with me. But this is like, I just want to boom, just take a sledgehammer to our hearts to break up the stony ground, right? Break up the stony ground of our hearts so that his joy might break through. So the way I want to do that is is just to give you like a deluge of thoughts, feelings, and emotions about joy. I want to awaken your heart again to how you are made, why you are made, and how you can live if you know him. So I want to douse you in quotes about joy to open your heart to it. Then I want to dunk you in the scriptures where there's 171 references to joy, 154 references to rejoice, and 138 for glad or gladness. It is all over the Bible that God is this glad being who wants gladness for you. Then what I want to do is just to declare some one-line joy statements over your life. I just want to declare these things, and I just want one of them will be for you, right? And believe me, I've got enough of them for everybody. Everyone's going to get something. I promise you. I'm just going to like zing you with joy, right? Okay, you guys ready for this? Let's start with the quotes. I just want you to just like... If you can, could you just like listen with your heart? Just ask the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, would you speak joy? Would you awaken something in me this morning? And I love Jesus says, you must become like a child to receive the kingdom. 
the child's nature without any interaction or any intervention from an adult, the child's story is joy. It's just who God makes human beings to, me, to be, and we get joyless over time. We, we learn how to not express, experience joy. So, G.K. Chesterton said this, Joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. He goes on to say, Man is more himself, man is more manlike, when joy is the fundamental thing in him, and grief the superficial Melancholy should be an innocent interlude, a tender and fugitive frame of mind. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. Pessimism is at best an emotional half-holiday. Joy is the uproarious labor by which all things live. I love Chesterton. Joy is the uproarious labor by which all things live. Our world is held together by the joy of God. His will sustains your very movement, being, breath. Everything in the cosmos is held together because he loves it so much. (laughs) Another author says this, Joy is a concept that's woven throughout the scripture from beginning to end. The prophet Nehemiah proclaims the joy of the Lord is your strength. The psalmist witnesses that when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Sadly, joy has become a biblical cliche that seems to have no real meaning or significance within our culture. Yet crucially, joy is the foundation for Christian desire and relationships. Neurobiologists have shown that while most brain development stops somewhere in childhood, the brain's joy center, located and observable in the right orbital prefrontal cortex, is the only part of the brain that never loses its capacity to grow. Every other part of you while you live is shrinking. (laughs) Well, my stomach's expanding. But like, like, you are getting, we're getting worse at life. Right? Every year, my vertical goes down. It went down significantly in my 30s, but every year, I'm like, my brain is like, jump, and my body's like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe, like, I, I can't jump anymore. But your joy center in your brain expands and expands and expands and expands until you meet Jesus, and it explodes. <laughs> it's like, this is what I was made for. It can grow the rest of your life. Your joy has no end to it. There's emojis. That's wild. Although we're born as bundles of potential, our interactions in early childhood lay the path for our future relationship, shaping our capacity for desiring things for good or ill. As a parent, particularly a mother, tunes into her infant, the baby mirrors the parent's responses. In this way, the brain becomes, uh, begins the complex process of being wired for the back-and-forth communication of human relationships. These positive early interactions create a joy reservoir or a joy strength that acts as the command and control center of the emotional system. That's why I like to stand in the back of church there and jump up and down with my children during worship. Because I want them to have a joy reservoir in the house of God, that they will remember joy in this room. And if they ever get too far from joy, they'll be like, you know where I need to go? I need to go to church. That's what I want my kids. I want to, if they ever get too far from God, they get scared. They get prodigal. They're in the pit. I want them to go, you know where joy is? In his house with his people. I danced in that room and it was real. My daddy on earth loves me and my daddy in heaven loves me even more. I just get back to that place. In his house, there's many rooms. It's the place of joy. Dr. James Fries and his colleagues explain when the joy center has been sufficiently developed, it regulates emotions. Listen to this. Pain control and immunity centers. Some people are getting sick because their joy reservoir has been depleted. And the way to get your body healthy is to connect your heart to Jesus and let his joy fix your immune system. They've proven in medical studies that people who get visits from loved ones and who laugh, they heal faster than other people. It's amazing how God has wired our bodies. This joy, it guides us to act like ourselves. If you want to recover yourself, you feel like you've lost yourself, connect your heart to the joy of God. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. It's the only part of the brain that overrides the main drive centers, food and sexual impulses, terror and rage. Friends, 
If you have a problem with food, with sex, with fear, or with anger, this says the way to fix it is the joy of the Lord. You find a better thing to aim your life at, and it pushes out everything else where you go like, food isn't as good as God. Sex isn't as good as God. Being afraid, I have his joy. What could I be afraid of? He's for me, right? Who could be against me? No weapon formed against me can prosper. I have the joy of Jesus. Ugh. Just take a break. It's like, I feel like I've been out of breath all morning. It's the weirdest thing. God's like doing something. Alexander Shimon, he says this, the knowledge of the fallen world does not kill joy, which emanates in the world always constantly as bright sorrow. In this world, you will have troubles, but fear not. I have overcome the world. We have a bright sorrow. We don't ignore or deny pain, but we also do not submit to it. We're overcomers. One person put it this way. He said, to put it simply, the birds are singing much more than Darwin permits. <laughs> right? The world is rejoicing. We aren't just clumps of cells. We're not accidents. We're not random. The birds are singing because God ordained them to sing, to praise, to glorify him. Miroslav Volf says this, the glorification of God lies in any case in the festive demonstration of the human joy of existence Human beings in their fondness for this finite life and by their affirmation of mortal beauty share in the infinite pleasure of the creator of the world. God made you to share in his infinite pleasure. Infinite. Joy is enduring. It puts its mark on one's attitude and living. Fun is short-term and serves amusement. True joy is only possible with one's whole heart, whole soul, and all one's energies. The feeling about life that underlies the party, that making fun society is, I suspect, more boredom with life than true joy. True joy opens up the soul. It's a flow of spirits, gives, uh, giving our existence a certain easiness. We may have fun, but we are in joy. <laughs> in true joy, the ecstatic nature of human existence comes to expression. We are created for joy. We are born for joy. Another writer says this, on my account, ecstatic, joyful praise is humanity's end and current glory. The joyful act of praising God, a thankfulness flowing almost automatically from recognition of God's gifts is the central action of the human. Praise and thanksgiving is the central action for why you were put on this earth. This self-transcending act in which we begin to participate in our fullest flourishing it's implied here, right, that we were never designed simply for human sociability and attempts to reduce us to that mutilate our natural being, both eschatologically, right, future-oriented, as creatures called to become fit to bear the joy that is our eschatological destiny. What that, like, you are called to become fit in this life to bear the future glory of God. <laughs> this is training for heaven. You're called to enlarge your heart more and more and more and more and more with the joy of God so that when you meet him, you're ready to be in that worship circle that will go forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, right? You're like, oh Lord, I know how to fall down. I know how to cast my crowns. I know how to worship. I know how to, I know how to do this. I've been preparing myself for this moment. I've got two more. I know this is a lot, but I told you, this is like an Oklahoma thunderstorm. Amen? Chesterton again. We got to go to Chesterton. This guy gets it. He says, now to put the matter in a popular phrase, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children when they find some game or joke that they especially enjoy. A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have a bounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. Do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> Amen, parents? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun and to the moon every evening, do it again. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes daisies separately but has never tired of making them. 
It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grow old, and our father is younger than we. One last quote, Beekner. There's not one of us whose life has not already been touched somewhere with joy, so that in order to make it real to us, to show it forth, it should be enough for Jesus simply to remind us of it, to make us remember the joyous moments of our lives. Yet this is not easy because ironically enough, these are likely to be the precisely, precisely the moments that we do not associate with religion. We tend to think that joy is not only not properly religious, but that it is even the opposite of religion. We tend to think that religion is sitting stiff and antiseptic and a little bored and that joy is laughter and freedom and reaching out our arms to embrace the whole wide and preposterous, uh, preposterous earth, which is so beautiful that sometimes it nearly breaks our hearts. We need to be reminded that at its heart, Christianity is joy and that laughter and freedom and reaching out of arms are the essence of it. We need to be reminded, too, that joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is man-made. A happy home, a happy marriage, happy relationships with our friends and within our jobs. We work for these things, and if we're careful and wise and lucky, we can usually achieve them. Happiness is one of the highest achievements of which we are capable, and when it is ours, we take credit for it, and properly so, but we never take credit for our moments of joy because we know that they are not man-made and that we are never really responsible for them. They come when they come. They're always sudden and quick and unrepeatable. The unspeakable joy sometimes of just being alive. The miracle of sometimes being just who we are with the blue sky and the green grass, the faces of our friends and the waves of the ocean being just what they are. The joy of release, of being suddenly well when before we were sick, of being forgiven when we were ashamed and afraid, of finding ourselves loved when we were lost and alone. The joy of love, which is the joy of the flesh as well as the spirit. But each of us can supply his own moments. So just two more things. One is that joy is always all-encompassing. There is nothing left of us, uh, nothing of us left over to hate with or to be afraid with, to feel guilty with or to feel selfish about. Joy is where the whole being is pointed in one direction. And it is something by its nature that a man never hoards but always wants to share Joys where the whole being is pointed in one direction and something that by its nature a man never hoards but always wants to share. The second thing is that joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes, even nailed to a tree. Oof. What Jesus is saying is that men are made for joy and that anyone who is truly joyless, joyous has a right to say that he is doing God's will on earth. Where you have known joy, you have known him. Psalm 16. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 96, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. Psalm 30, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Psalm 51, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Isaiah 35, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Zephaniah 3.17 describes God himself will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I don't know if you know God, but he is a loud singer. There's no like lullabies in God's house. He's like, I love you. I mean, it's like, this is loud singing. He loves joy. He loves to be loud. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Luke 2, don't be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. Isn't that amazing? Good news, which creates great joy for who? For everyone that's who Jesus is. Psalm 126, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. 
Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Psalm 84, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Isaiah 9, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. Isaiah 55, guys, I'm not even scratching the surface here. You shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the field shall slap, clap their hands. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where does your strength come from? Not your strength. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Your strength doesn't come from your strength. It comes from the joy of the Lord. Not your joy is your strength. His joy is your strength. I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. God loves a party, and he loves to share his joy when his kids come home. Matthew 25, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. Luke 24, 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Acts 13, and the disciples were filled with joy joy and with the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Guys, that verse is so key. Two of those three things are felt realities. Peace and joy. You cannot have it if you do not feel it. Righteousness is something you're like, I don't know how we're righteous, friends. There's lots of theories about imputed righteousness and all this stuff that's theological and doctrinal. Guess what? You either have peace or you don't. And you know it when you have it, and you know it when you don't. You either have joy or you don't. I love that he's like, my kingdom is meant to be felt in your life. You're to live with the reality of my joy and my peace expressed in you. Paul says he's overflowing with joy. Philippians 1 says, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. He's like, I make my prayer life with joy. Colossians 1, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. You're to have endurance and patience with joy. (laughs) Joy is the defining characteristic of your perseverance, steadfast, you know, patience, all this stuff. He's like, with joy. 1 Thessalonians, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. You received the word with much affliction, with joy. (laughs) Affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 8, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. How do you express the inexpressible? I don't know. I'm asking you guys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good, right? Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All this, I love this, with joy, with joy, with joy, with joy. What does that mean? It means joy is something you possess through the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You own it right? In the same way you own your house, own your car, own something else. Like he's like, this is yours. You can possess it, but it's kind of like the thing of like, you possess it in theory, but if you don't use it, like if I bought you a car and you put it in a garage and never drove it, are you really possessing it? No, you possess it as you take the gift, you appropriate appropriate it for yourself and you use it. You use the gift that he's given you. I love this, Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On on what were its footings set? Who laid the cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Can you imagine what it sounded like in creation as the myriad upon myriad of angels shouted for joy as God spoke the cosmos into existence. And the angels didn't know what he was doing. So he's just like, light, and there's light. And they're like, oh, oh, what? Do you see that? Like, like you and somebody like Michael Jordan hits a layup in the finals and people lose their mind. Can you imagine watching God create the universe and they're falling over and they're like, angel high five. And that's probably like dust in the, in the cosmos. I mean, they're just freaking out. They're shouting with joy because they see who God is and what he's doing. And they're so surprised by him. They're like, I had no idea it was going to be this good. 
I knew he was going to do something because he was like getting ready. He's getting pumped up. God's like, all right, you ready? Jesus, Holy Spirit, let's do this. And they're like, you know, have their little locker room dance. And the angels are like in the crowd just waiting. And he's just like, and they all, explosion of praise was present at the creation of the universe. Isn't that wild? Like God created the universe in a pep rally. Like, it's amazing. It's so cool. So Jesus enters Jerusalem, right, on a donkey, and people grab these palm branches, and they're waving them. They're waving. They're worshiping him. They're shouting. Can you imagine being the guy who's, like, standing there, like, and you're like, I'm worshiping in my heart. It's cool. I just don't, I don't do the palm thing. It's not my deal. Isn't it weird that we allow our personality to override the call of heaven? Can you imagine any of the angels? Do you know who didn't worship at creation? It's probably Satan. I wonder if Satan stood in the heavens with his hands in his pockets and just thought, eh, yeah, it's not my thing, right? People whose hearts are connected to the Lord, when they see him, they rejoice, right? We were made for it, and you do it in so many other areas of your life, and yet you come to church, and it feels weird, right? There was mourning yesterday of all OU fans. It was just mourning and weeping and gnashing of teeth, and nobody had to tell you to do it. Nobody's like, you should mourn on this day. You're just like, you just felt sad. <laughs> oh, team stinks. It's terrible, Right? And guess what? When they win, nobody has to tell you to rejoice. When they score like a game-winning touchdown, you just, oh, my, uh, my, my little boy this week, we were at a birthday party, Annie, probably, I think she put on Instagram, I was teaching him some trick shots. So I played basketball. I love trick shots. It's one of the things I was really good at. I wasn't good at a lot of things. I can do trick shots. And fortunately, it was before YouTube. I would have gone viral, I promise you. So we're at this thing, and he's on this upper thing. I was like, hey, jump off the platform, bounce on the trampoline, shoot it over the high wall, and see if you can make one. And he shot about 47. On the 47th, he hit it. And it was like, he just takes off running. He goes, let's go, let's go. Like, and I was just like, yeah, let's go. Like, it was awesome. It was like, he put a ball through a hoop. I mean, it's like, not that big a deal. Jesus saved you from your sins, from death from hell, from shame, from guilt. He's worth a little bit of celebration. And I don't think we should depend on what our personality is to deny him what he's worth, right? Because I see lots of people who are very stoic go to a Thunder game and lose their minds. And I just want to say stoicism, like this Western white culture of like sitting on our hands, it's not just bad philosophy, it's idolatry. It is, is submitting your life to a way of being that is not found in the Bible. When God says, worship me with singing, with clapping, with loud shouts, with instruments, with dancing, with joy. With joy. He made you for it. Jesus says this in Revelation, behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says, my reward is with me. What is his reward? He says, enter into the master's joy. He says, behold, I'm coming. With what? With joy. <laughs> the world was made in joy and it will end this earth in a joyful reunion with our master, Savior, the one who loves us. Joy. Christianity, joy isn't simply to be felt, but to be possessed. Whew. Okay. You ready for your declarations? All right. Joy is excess. It's beyond the self. Joy gets you out of yourself. Joy is both elicited and it's cultivated. It both comes from deep within and from without. Joy is an emotion, not a feeling. Emotions are good, friends. Can we wake the church up? We prayed it. Meg prayed it this morning. It was like right on. Emotions are a gift from God. Emotions are meant to be stewarded, disciplined, right? Under the power of the Spirit. But the emotion of joy, this welling up, is such a good thing. It's meant to be cultivated. 
Joy is the emotional substance and manifestation of the good life. Joy is an eternity-seeking emotion. It's the part of us that longs for him, for his place. Joy is the outward, public manifestation of the Christian conviction of the lordship of Christ. How will they know he's Lord and he's making everything right and he will return again if we're just a bunch of like dumpy diapers Christians? Like they walk in the church and they're just like, are you guys excited about him? Like, is he really Lord? Did he really save you? Did he die on the cross and raise again and ascend to the right hand of the Father and send the Holy Spirit? Is he preparing a place for you? Because I'd love to see the response. Or as Greg Dewey said it, you know, what is it? Like, I love worship. And he's like, you might want to tell your body and face right? That's like one of my favorite quotes in history, like, right? Let, like, let's preach to our own bodies and faces and be like, listen, let's get into whatever's happening in your heart. Let it out. Joy issues glad tidings of a different empire. Joy is the wellspring of motivation for the revolt against injustice. Amen? What we do against injustice isn't because we're angry. It's because we have so much joy and it needs to be shared by every human being on earth. We will not stop until the joy of God enters every house, every place, every darkness gets lit up by the joy of Jesus. <laughs> joy exists at the junction between the transcendent and the imminent. It's where heaven meets earth. Joy is forward-looking. We're looking, it's linked with hope. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Wherever you find joy, you find his presence, and it could be anywhere, but it is especially in his house with his people. Joy is like the loaves and fishes. When offered up and shared, it tends to multiply. Joy involves mind, body, and spirit. Joy is a response to having been united with what we love. Joy is being awake to life. Joy is God saying, wake up. <laughs> Be sober and alert. Stand up. Get ready. Joy is either free or it isn't joy. Joy is grounded in expectation of God's deliverance. Joy is a reality best understood in the middle voice. What does that mean? It means it's not purely passive happening to us, nor is it simply active, something we do. It's like both and. Joy is both and. It's both received and celebrated, enjoyed, cultivated. Joy is a responsive act of exaltation. Joy is best experienced in community, right? It's always better shared. <laughs> Joy is always better with a group. Joy is ex experienced best in community. Joy seeks company. When joy happens, Jesus heals somebody. What it says, they went back to their village rejoicing because <laughs> they said, I've got to tell what he did. Joy is a disposition of shalom. Joy is seeing life through a hopeful lens. Joy is when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven one author said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. <laughs> I love that. Joy is the emotional attunement between the self and the world as blessing. It's experiencing all of life as a gift. It's joy. Joy is the crown of the good life. Joy is the expression and manifestation of the good life. Joy funds perseverance. Joy pays the bill for you to stick with the things that God has called you. It's joy. It's not, oh, I'm strong. It's like, no, no, no. His joy funds everything. Joy is the power to live. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to close in song. Um, I realize this begs the question, what about suffering, right? What do we do Right? The psalmist says, how do we sing the song of God, the praises of God, God in Babylon, right? Like, how do we rejoice? How do we do these things when we're living in Babylon? And this is uh, key because sometimes joy is in, sometimes joy is because of, sometimes joy is notwithstanding, and sometimes joy is against. Sometimes joy is just, you're just in. It's just in you, you're in it. It's like, ah. Other times joy is outside of you because of the smile of your child, because of the beauty of the mountains, because of something happened. You're joyful because of. But sometimes you're joyful notwithstanding all the circumstances and evidences of your life. You literally say, there is no earthly reason to be joyful right now other than I know him. And I know he's good. I know he loves me. 
So if you're in here this morning and you're like, that's me, I, I want joy, but I am, ah, man, I'm living in the midst of pain. Uh, Isaiah 54, just write this down for you to meditate on this week. Isaiah 54 says this, sing, barren woman. Oof. If you're barren, if your life, you're like, either that's physically, you're like, I've wanted children and I don't have them yet. I want to be married and I'm not married yet. I'm married, but my marriage is falling apart. My business is going under. Whatever barrenness in your life, God says this. He says, sing. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. So there's a joy that is notwithstanding everything that's happening. I will stand and I will raise my voice to God. Because he's good despite all the other evidence that is coming at me, all that Satan has doing against me. There is joy in his presence. I know it's true. I shout for joy. You who are never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your states. God's saying if you are in pain and grief and suffering and loss, first thing you do is you get into his presence. You shout for joy. Then what he said, he said, start preparing your life to receive what I'm bringing. In faith, he's like, the barren woman, make your tent bigger because I am going to fill it. He doesn't say exactly how, but he says, start getting ready. Sometimes joy is faith expressed in physical action. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations, settle their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will, not, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. There's something about us when things are wrong in our life, when stuff happens, when our kids run off and they're prodigal, we feel this reproach, right? When your marriage is in trouble, when something happens in your life, this, this thing was real for me. I was a widower and I felt a weird reproach about losing my wife. I don't know why. I felt like I'm alive and she's dead. And I just felt like, oh, I just want to, Go into a closet and never come out because I feel wrong about being alive. And God's just telling you, if you're alive in the country of death, he's like, don't let the reproach of the enemy crush you and keep you out of the church, of the light, of friendship, of my word, of my presence. He says, even though that kid has gone away, guess what? I will bring them back. <laughs> Jesus said this, he says, not a single one will I lose out of my hand. What the Father's given me, I will lose none of them. The Lord will call you back for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He's called the God of the earth. Churches are those institutions that aim to give us a communal and personal, intellectual and effective structure to help cultivate joy. This place is meant to help you cultivate the joy of the Lord. They are those communities where the grace of Jesus and the joy that flows from it is most intentionally and intensively solicited and its reception cultivated and through that cultivation most palpably and vividly endured. So we come to church to solicit God's joy, for him to pour it out and then we cultivate it in our response. When his joy comes, we respond. And in that response creates this enduring reality of his joy despite anything that comes against us. So here's the key. Joy is to be expressed, not just experienced. Joy is to be expressed, not just experienced. It's not enough to just feel it in your heart. He says, praise me with hands lifted. Praise me with clapping. Praise me with singing. Praise me with the dance. Praise me in every way, every gift I've given you. And we have given over so much of our joy to the world that we come with empty tanks to church. So this morning, I want you to stand to your feet. This question, do people enter our churches and see our joy expressed? Not just hear it said. One person said this, they said, Christians don't speak lies, they just sing them. 
right? Because like you sing all this stuff and then you're just kind of like, oh, you know, so like here, I want to challenge us this morning for you to take one step towards the Lord in a joyful expression. Whatever that is for you this morning, it might be uh, like, you know, the hands, so like I've always been this guy, right? Amen, Greg, Greg, I remember this. He's like, nah, it's like, ooh, there we go. All right, right there, there, you know, it's like just, and, and can I just tell you, if you have kids in here and you're struggling with expressing your joy, I promise you, if you'll just get your kids going in worship, you will find yourself spinning and dancing and laughing and just enjoying him. So we're going to sing this song, God of Revival, and it's kind of a weird one to end on joy because it's not like a song about joy, but what it is about is it's about God's actions in history, which for me always bring me joy. When I hear about prison doors opening, the lost being found, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, I just want to, I just want to rejoice. Amen. Um, So... I'm going to pray for us, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what is one step I could take to express to you the joy I feel in my heart about how you've saved me? Will you just take a moment and do that? Holy Spirit, what's one thing I can do? And again, it is all over the scripture. You have many options. You could kneel, you could fall on your face, you could raise your hands, you could shout, you could clap, you could jump up and down, you could take a few laps around this sanctuary, you could run. You know what people do when they're excited? They run, it's weird. You just get happy and you just start running. It's all fine, we don't care. Like how you express it, like, but God says, show me. Show me. He's like, I've shown you. So Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you created us in joy, for joy. And we want to be a people who expresses that joy back to you. In the ways that you have ordained your praise, we want to agree with it and live in it. And so, Lord, we love you. Would you just tell him you love him? Tell him you love him. Say, Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, we say yes to you. We bless your work. I pray joy in your office, at your workplace, in your school. I pray that you would walk through life like St. Francis, the happy fool for Jesus. Jesus, I pray that this church, you would enlarge our tent. In faith, we just believe you are going to bring us the least, the last, and the lost. Those who are beat up and wounded by life, who are confused and afraid, and they're going to find joy in this place, and you're going to heal them restore them and bring them home. In Jesus' name.